What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabrow. Kevin, coming fresh off of a birthday weekend. How was it, my guy? It was all right, man. Weather was a little bit of a pain in the ass, but for the most part, just happy to see uh, another year. Blessed to have another year, and I'm just, you know, just grateful to be here, bro, realistically. That sucks about the weather, because it... I remember like early in the weekend, like Friday going into Saturday, it rained like constantly and it was heavy. It wasn't yeah. just like a little shower or anything like that. It was heavy thunderstorms. I was driving back from work in it. I think on Friday, I remember like you could kind of see like the sunset out to the West. And then you look to the East, like, bro, it was pitch black. It was that heavy rain where it's, it's just getting dark, but it, it was like, you could barely see like, 30 40 feet in front of you it was like that type of rain it was bad people were going like 30 miles an hour on the road it was just nuts but yeah i wasn't uh i wasn't a happy character on saturday especially because you know had to go home on sunday so kind of was looking forward to doing something that evening but can't stop mother nature at least you were able to get out have you know a good time at the beach and you know i I, granted i know the weather didn't work out but you know at least you were able to get some time away from home and get some time to relax a little bit and just enjoy life bro exactly you know sometimes you get lost in in work and forget that you can take time off but you know having the dog sometimes can be a little bit of a problem because it's like if my parents can't watch him isabel's obviously with me so she can't watch him it's kind of like all right do i really want to spend 150 dollars to board him for like a day and a half it's like it it becomes pricey yeah but you know sometimes those little weekend getaways are just nice just you know a day or two just be able to chill relax kick back sometimes you need that every now and then just to kind of reset things oh it's huge for me i needed a big time yeah so once again bro i gotta say just happy birthday once again so appreciate you my I'll, g I'll be 28 I'll be catching up to you in about eight months i think eight nine months somewhere around there so take your time we'll, we'll see what happens but uh bro we got some topics to get into today so oh yeah um we got a couple nba topics we got a couple nfl topics you ready to dive into these but of course all right, so we're going to start off with some NBA topics. Uh, we'll go over Shannon Sharp's comments that he made on Undisputed last week where he was essentially saying that Steph Curry, excuse me, Steph Curry is largely responsible for Katie's legacy at this current moment in time. Uh, Katie won two championships in his tenure with the Golden State Warriors after you know multiple years of success there. Um, I guess this uh, story is kind of coming back full circle with Shannon chiming in on just the impact that Steph has had on Katie's legacy at this point. After that, we'll kick it over to the Donovan Mitchell news. Uh, the Donovan Mitchell trade rumors continue to churn out uh, a lot of results. Uh, the most recent one that really kind of caught an eye to Kevin and I was the trade proposal that the Jazz sent to, I believe it was the New York Knicks, where the Knicks were supposedly going to give up like four or five players and six first round draft picks for Donovan Mitchell. Uh, that one, that one trade proposal was nixed. Um, there wasn't any, that was actually kind of funny. I was just about to say the same thing. Uh, that trade did not go through obviously. So, uh, we'll talk about really where the Donovan Mitchell news stands at this point, whether or not that any team is going to be willing to agree to the trade demands that the jazz have set in front of them. 
After that, we'll kick it over to the NFL for a little bit. We're going to go over our top five running backs in the league at this current moment right now. Uh, we got a great list of players to go through at the running back position. Uh, and then after that, we're going to kick it to something that has popped up that kind of took place in one of our TikTok videos. We did a TikTok video about Baker Mayfield and compared him to different NFL quarterbacks across the league. And one of the arguments that kind of popped up from it was this Mac Jones versus Trevor Lawrence argument saying one pe person would think that Mac was better. One person would say that Trevor was better. And then it just kind of goes into an argument from there. So we'll kind of focus that conversation a little bit from the conversation that was just kind of brewing on TikTok. And we'll talk about the, the second year quarterbacks in Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence. And Kevin and I will give our opinions on who we think uh, is going to be the better quarterback from here on out between both of those guys. But let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into the KD Shannon Sharp comments that he made a couple days ago on Undisputed. So if you guys had tuned in to Undisputed last week, uh, Skip and Shannon had a segment where they were diving into Katie's legacy and how it was profoundly impacted by Steph's presence. And I think we could all kind of look back to the success that the Warriors had when Kevin Durant uh, joined forces with Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson, won two titles, and just you know, had a really solid run in that short period of time when Kevin Durant was there. But really, Shannon was making a focal point of that segment, saying that without Steph Curry, Katie's legacy would essentially be nil. It would essentially be not worth that much because you take Steph away from the equation, he wasn't necessarily sure that Katie would be the one to kind of carry the torch to get Golden State those championships back when he was with Golden State back in the day. So Shannon was really focused on the fact that Steph is really responsible for, I guess, the legacy that KD has at this current moment in time. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, do you believe that Shannon Sharp was correct in essentially saying that Steph Curry is responsible for KD's legacy at this moment in time? So I didn't think about it until Shannon kind of brought up all the points to it. I didn't think about it until you actually kind of listened to where Shannon was going with the entire segment. And of course, everybody knew KD was a, was, was a guy that was talented, that could score the basketball, that was gifted at his height, was gifted athletically. Um, his skill set for his size was something we've never seen before in NBA history. And nobody really wanted to feed into or even think of the fact that, you know, KD's career wasn't exactly meaningful until he left OKC and won those championships for Golden State. So if you break it down, KD spent, I want to say, what was it, seven years with OKC, seven or eight seasons. I believe he was drafted in 2007. He left in 2016. No, nine 2017. Years. Nine years, not, excuse me. Not, yeah, nine years. He wins an MVP in OKC. He wins a couple of scoring titles, multiple All-Star games, all these different things, right? He's just one of the more prolific players up and coming in the NBA, but didn't really have a lot of postseason success. Made it to an NBA Finals with OKC when all of them were super young, but they lose to the Miami Heat 4-1. Obviously, we all know about the series in 2016, right before KD had left. They were up 3-1. They end up losing that series 4-3. He goes to Golden State. They go to three straight finals, 
Obviously, at that point, he gets two out of three because obviously KD and Clay get hurt. Toronto wins that series. He then leaves to Brooklyn. He wants to do his own thing. He wants to create his own legacy. He, he feels that he's done enough in Golden State. Despite whatever people have said, despite what the rumors are, he couldn't handle uh, Draymond Green. He couldn't handle being in Steph's shadow. He wanted to branch off and, and, and shake the narrative that he can win on his own. It hasn't happened. Now he's requested a trade to leave his team. This would be his now fourth team in the last... Nope, never mind. I can't even do math. This would be his fourth team in his career, but he's only one while with the Warriors. He couldn't do it with Russell and James Harden. He couldn't do it with Kyrie and James Harden. Now he wants to seek out and go somewhere else. And of course, the two designated teams that he wanted to go originally, Phoenix and Miami, the two number one seeds in the Eastern and Western conferences, respectfully. Steph Curry 100% made it easier for KD. I mean, you, you have to double one of them. And in a lot of sequences, you did, in fact, see that Steph was doubled coming off of screens and kind of picked up at half court. So KD had a lot of isolation basketball to work with, not to mention that that system was... It, it just worked perfectly for him. I mean, the offense was moving. The KD got better defensively. So that unit was able to just pretty much just be unstoppable for the most part with KD playing the five when you included Draymond on that, on, in that rotation. And it just, that that team is arguably one of the greatest teams ever assembled in NBA history. The Golden State Warriors 100% made Kevin Durant's career meaningful. Because if you take out those two championships and those two finals MVPs, he's only got one MVP in his career. Sure, you got the all-star appearances. we got plenty of players that have done that. Sure, he's got scoring titles, but plenty of players have done that. He's got no hardware, and he's changed teams several times. And, you know, in, in most cases, a lot of them don't look very good. Obviously, it looked like he stabbed OKC in the back when he decided to go to Golden State. He leaves Golden State when no one thought he would because coming off of the Achilles, we thought he would have stood. We thought that they would have, you know, ran it back and, you know, just accumulated more championships. Goes to Brooklyn, gets everything he wants. The second things go downhill, he requests a trade. Kevin Durant's legacy has already been tainted with this most recent trade request. But Stephen Curry 100% made Kevin's career that much more meaningful just by him choosing to go to Golden State. I mean, as far as the championship element goes when it comes to KD's legacy, that was definitely impacted by Steph. There's no doubt about it. But to me, when, when I look at KD's career in totality, when it comes to his legacy specifically, to me, there's a fork in the road. It's really a crossroads. It was that last year in OKC, and he decided to go to Golden State. To me personally, that has more of a significance to me than what Shannon Sharp was saying about Steph's impact to KD's legacy. I'm not saying that, you know, the impact that Steph had for KD wasn't significant. I'm not saying that. But if I had to say, you know, between that and his decision to leave Oklahoma City to go to Golden State, to me, that is far more significant because it really changed the entire dynamic of how, not just how I see Kevin Durant, but how essentially all of NBA fans across the world see Kevin Durant. Because a lot of people would look back to that time when KD was running it with OKC. And they appreciated the fact that he they really thought, I would say that NBA fans by and large really thought that KD would really run it with OKC for possibly his entire career. They had a really good thing going there. They had the Warriors on the rope down. They were up 3-1 against Golden State. And then Golden State you know, has that insane comeback in the Western Conference Finals. And... A lot of people would look back at the decision to leave Oklahoma to go to Golden State as one of the weakest moves in NBA history. I know Stephen A. Smith 
you know, still gets a lot of, uh, still gets a lot of heat from that comment that he made back in the day. You know, to me, that actually carries more significance because once Katie got to Golden State, it was without a doubt that Golden State was going to win a title or two. Because when you have a, basically a Hall of Fame lineup of Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, and Andre Iguodala, I don't think there's any team, no matter who you assemble in modern day NBA, that it's going to be able to compete with that. Nobody, as far as I'm concerned. And to me, the amount of front running that Golden State could do was just unparalleled compared to what we'd seen probably since you probably say the Miami trio of, you know, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. But I think, you know, when KD went to Golden State, it just took that to a whole new level because nobody was going to stop them. The only thing that ended up stopping them was injuries, you know, with Klay Thompson uh, tearing his ACL, uh, KD ended up tearing his Achilles you know, the only thing that really slowed them down in the end was injuries and then probably the internal beef that took place between Draymond and KD that had kind of been boiling for the last, I'd say that last season specifically that KD was there. It really got to, I think, a critical point in their relationship. And that's I think that was a huge factor that led to KD leaving Golden State in the first place. But overall, you know, I understand where Shannon Sharp was coming from. Um, I definitely take his point with, saying that Steph definitely impacted Katie's legacy for the better. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that in my mind. But overall, you know, when I look at Katie's legacy, to me, like, the biggest impact for me was him leaving Oklahoma City to go to Golden State to join the team that had just beat them in the prior playoff run that they had. You know, that, to me, holds far more significant weight than the point that Shannon was bringing up about Steph's impact to Katie. Katie's legacy. It's not insignificant, but to me, it's not as critical of a point to make than him leaving Oklahoma to go to Golden State. That to me still holds the biggest point in Katie's legacy to me because that just, that one just rubbed me the wrong way. And I think it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way when he made the decision, but it worked out for Katie's benefit in the favor. So it, or it worked out for Katie's benefit in the long run, I should say. But overall, that's just how I see it. I mean, I stand by what I said. In 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 reality, when that happened, I said he he got tired of playing with these guys. He got tired of Russ's inability to to not turn the ball over. He got tired of not having shooters surrounding him. He got fed up with just being the only primary scorer on a consistent basis. Because in that series, he averaged over thirty. In the finals loss, He's in his cooking. only finals in, in his only finals appearance prior to joining Golden State, he scored over thirty. James Harden had a bunch of turnovers. Russell Westbrook had a bunch of turnovers. Like he had been dealing with inefficiencies for so long. Uh, I wasn't was, mad like, that I wasn't Harden mad was that not he existent left. in that finals. He was like non-existent. I, I wasn't mad that he left. I was questioning the fact that he decided to go to the best team in the world at the already yeah. current moment. But in terms of him just leaving to go get a ring, I don't mind when superstars leave their teams if they gave it their all. With him being there for nine seasons and him being there for multiple playoff runs, I said, you know what? It's just not working. It's just yeah. it, it's not fitting because if KD has an off night, if KD starts getting doubled after he gets 30 or if he gets triple teamed, it, where's the offense going to come from? That's and true. then when KD gets back into a rhythm, it's too late. You got to put up another 15 shots in a quarter. You got to put up another 20-some-odd shots and a half. It's, it, it becomes 
tiring and exhausting because clearly the weight of a franchise was on Kevin Durant's shoulders. So I don't nix him for going to um, uh, Golden State. I apologize. I had a brain fart of where he went. What I have a problem with is how he left Golden State to go to Brooklyn, making it about an independence thing. I want to do my own thing. I want to start my own trend. I I can do this on my own. I don't think so, bud. You tried doing that in Oklahoma City. It didn't really work for you. And then you're going to go and do it with a head case like Kyrie? The move made no sense to me, just truthfully and honestly. Then you go and you get James Harden again for the second time in your career where he was coming off of being overweight, being a head case in Houston. So now you have two toxic people potentially in the locker room. And Kyrie and Harden were beefing pretty much the entire time. And then you have Kyrie's vaccination status and all that shit. The point of what I'm getting at is Shannon's point shannon's segment made so much sense when you really think about it because everywhere that he's been and by he i mean kevin durant outside of golden state it's been pretty much uneventful has been pretty meaningless he hasn't done anything of significance because he hasn't been able to get out of the what the second round last year i don't think it was i don't think it was beneficial to him you stay in golden state you win more championships that's that's just one outside of the one finals run with okc and then the I did the one Western Conference. They made the Western Conference Finals a couple times, I think, when he was. Yeah, they made it. They made it with against us, but we took that in six. Yeah, but I mean, overall, I mean, you know, I thought his OKC tenure was successful. It obviously didn't end in a in a Finals uh, championship, but to say like his OKC tenure was like an outright failure, I wouldn't necessarily categorize it as that. As far as championship aspirations go, yeah, that that was you know he came up short in that regard. But what I mean, did he accomplish there aside from that one finals run? It became the same the repeated effect the every series, every season. They'd yeah. get somewhere, and then they'd be like, they need that second fiddle. They need someone to step up. Russ would have maybe one game a series. Maybe if you got lucky, he'd get into a comfortable shooting rhythm, and he'd have two games in a series. But you're relying on Serge Ibaka, Andre Roberson. It's like, like where are you getting offense from? And it yeah. just... It started to become religiously stagnant. I would have been fed up to it's like, bro, yeah. I'm averaging thirty against it's, these freaking teams I coming know. at me with everybody. But he joined the team that beat him the prior season, and, and Correct. to me, when you join the not only the team that beat you, but you essentially joined the best team in the NBA. Granted, I know the Cavs won that finals that season, the the, the season before uh, Katie ended up going to Golden State. But everybody's thought that, you know, Golden State, you're going to the best team in the league. Or you're going to a top two team in the NBA. And you're going alongside superstars in Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. And then, you know, you got some good role players like Andre Iguodala on top of it. 100%. That that rubbed me the wrong way, too. You know, you can't. Granted, he ended up doing it, I think, to uh, the chagrin of a lot of NBA players fans across the board because it just made the season that it really made the seasons that he was with Golden State uneventful because everybody was thinking the same way that Golden State's just going to cakewalk to the finals except for that one year that you know Houston was I think it was that game seven where they missed like 30 straight threes and Golden State ended up getting back to the finals again but overall it's just you know to me when I look at KD's legacy in totality uh if he ends up getting traded from Brooklyn, obviously that's an unmitigated disaster. It's definitely something that is definitely going to work against KD in his legacy. But to me, 
I think the cardinal sin in his legacy so far was him leaving Oklahoma City in the manner that he did to join the best team in the league at the time and join the team that beat him. That's that's to me, that's just unforgivable. But it worked out for him in the long run. He got two titles out of it, got to play with some of the best players in NBA. So it worked out for him in the long run. And if that's what matters to him, then so be it. Correct. But with that said, uh, we're going to transition to our next NBA segment, and that is going to be the developing Donovan Mitchell news. So Kevin and I have been keeping up with this story the last couple days or so. Um, We're going to dive into this one report that we've seen that involved the New York Knicks. Um, There was a deal that was actually close between the Utah Jazz and the New York Knicks a couple days ago, but the Knicks ended up declining the deal. The supposed deal, or the proposed deal, I should say, involved Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, Quentin Grimes, Miles McBride, and six first-round draft picks. That would have been the haul that Utah would have gotten in return for Donovan Mitchell had that trade proposal gone through. But like I said, the Knicks ended up pulling away from that deal and saying no. So it really kind of shows the amount of depth that teams are going to have to give up in regards to possibly picking up Donovan Mitchell in a trade from the Utah Jazz. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, when you look back at that New York proposal with Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, Quentin Grimes, Miles McBride, and first six-round draft picks getting shot down, do you see Donovan Mitchell getting traded despite the fact that the Jazz have these insane trade demands to trade him? To be honest, with the trade market... (laughs) The way that it is in today's NBA, how it's been going with Brooklyn asking for crazy stuff for Kevin Durant, and now this, six first-rounders in and of itself, that's the Knicks' whole future. Then you're going to give up their rising stars that emerged to be pretty successful at the tail end of last season. When Quickly was given minutes, he showed that he could be consistent. When Obi Toppin was given minutes, he was seen to have actual, you know, signs of flashes of, uh, you know, being a top eight pick that he was. And then, of course, you have Quentin Grimes and McBride that, you know, showed flashes in the G League and, of course, now in Summer League that they've been playing relatively well. You're giving up basically everything for Donovan Mitchell. And you pair Donovan Mitchell with Jalen Brunson. They're both 6'1". Very undersized backcourt. Can the combination of Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, and then Julius Randle with no bench win in the Eastern Conference? No. It's not successful. You're going to burn them out. They're not going to get along. A lot of them are very ball-dominant, especially Julius Randle. And now you're going to basically tell him another person is going to be taking the ball away from him. That's going to be more friction on the sideline. That's going to be more instances. I mean, you just spent $104 million on Jalen Brunson. Now you go and bring up a super max contract player like Donovan Mitchell. And if the Knicks start to lose, who's to say Donovan doesn't want out again? He's already wanted out of Utah because straight up, they're just not winning on a successful basis or on a consistent basis. And they haven't made it out of the second round. Now you're going to tell me you're going to go to a bottom-tier Eastern Conference team with no depth and a head case for a, 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 one of your star players? It just doesn't make sense. If I'm Donovan, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, bro, I don't want to go there. I mean, aside from the fact that he's got connections because he's from New York, that's not a successful place to want to play basketball. 
he's not Kevin Durant at a place in his career where he's already made enough money. He's going to go to New York to do the media deals, the movies, the TV shows, the features, the commercials, all that shit. Donovan Mitchell's still young. He wants to win. To go to New York with no bench, with an inconsistent cast in the Eastern Conference, it, 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 it's not... It, it's not a move that makes sense in my mind, and I don't think it would make sense in Donovan's either. And New York would be absolutely ridiculed for the rest of its existence if they basically traded 10 equivalent players because obviously each draft pick that they would have given up would have been an essential player or at least a future player if they would have traded those picks for further aspirations. But what I'm getting at is six picks, four players for Donovan Mitchell to either play out the four years remaining on his contract or have a miserable time, maybe one out even earlier. Who's to say you don't even rebuild afterwards, package him in another deal? I don't know. I don't trust James Dolan. I don't trust this front office. And for them to deny this trade was probably the smartest move they've made in the last decade. Well, Kevin, I'm in full agreement with you on this one. I thought the Knicks actually made a pretty proactive choice here in staying away from that proposed trade deal because that would have just, like you said, it would have completely destroyed their depth on their bench. Granted, their starting five would have looked amazing, but, bro, you have to have a good bench to possibly win a title in the NBA. And, I mean, Brooklyn tried that experiment running Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, and that crashed and burned. And I think the same result could have played out in the Knicks' favor as well had they gone down that route. So they, I think they were actually smart here. Now, when it comes to Donovan Mitchell as a whole, when it comes to these trade proposals, I think the NBA front offices or just teams across the league, they're seeing what the Jazz are demanding for Donovan. And as far as I'm concerned, I think it's just too high. Granted, if I were to look at that trade proposal, I think if I were a GM, possibly think about acquiring Donovan Mitchell, I'd say maybe two, maybe three players would be involved in that deal. And to me, I think after that, when it comes to the trade capital that that's involved, I'd probably put out three, maybe four draft picks, but not six. Six is just an insane number of, it's just an insane draft capital that you'd have to give up in return for Donovan Mitchell. Granted, Donovan Mitchell is one of the most explosive, one of the most dynamic players in the NBA. He's definitely a hot commodity and certainly somebody that you would consider in getting from a trade. But when it comes to the Jazz and just their overall trade demands, I actually think that as time goes on, the less likelihood of a trade going through with Donovan Mitchell on the move is actually going to take place just because if the jazz are starting off that high, I just don't know how teams are going to look at themselves if they were to go through with it and convince themselves. Yeah, this is going to be a championship contending team. Granted, you know, they have Donovan Mitchell. They might have uh, a second guy to run along Donovan, but they're gonna have no depth whatsoever to do it. So I think the Knicks were actually smart here. I'm glad that they, stayed away from this one because I don't think it was worth it for them in the long run. Uh, but we'll see whether or not that other teams get involved. I believe the Miami Heat are possibly looking at looking to trade for Donovan Mitchell. I imagine that they're going to have to, uh, they'd have to pay a pretty penny as far as just the players that could be on the move from Miami to go to Utah. They would have to give up a lot of draft capital as well. And Miami may not be willing to pull the trigger on that one either just because the Jazz trade demands are just too high to agree to. So I just, I'm going to basically just round it back to this point. I think as time goes on, unless the Jazz make 
somewhat of a concession as far as their trade demands are concerned. I don't think that Donovan's going to get moved this offseason, and that's just how I see it. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he just sticks around in Utah. That or Danny Ainge decides to wake up and realize he's not going to get a bigger haul for Donovan Mitchell than, obviously, Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. So Danny Ainge, we all know, is a great GM, and when what he was able to do for Boston over the last maybe five or six years, trading away so many different players to acquire multiple picks, trading picks for future picks, like whatever wizardry he pulled off ended up in that being Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and of course, Jason Tatum to having a finals appearance this season. So we know that he's got a brilliant basketball mind. And I think that him overstretching was a plan. I think that he's setting the bar to know that if Donovan's leaving, we're getting something back. And if he had to create that line in the sand to say, this is what we want, somebody's going to offer something in between that. And if that ends up being four picks, maybe two or three players, Maybe someone will pull the trigger around there. Yeah. It it just depends on who's willing to give up the capital for a, a player that can go out there and give you 25 to 30 points a night. It's just, you know, you got to be willing to give up some form of a future because obviously Utah's losing, losing their best player. You know that they're going to have to get something in return. Yeah, and I mean, the way that I see it is if the Jazz actually go through with that trade, I mean, it's full rebuild after that. There, there's 100%. no other way around it. Rudy Gobert is gone. He went to Minnesota. Donovan's by far and away the best player on the roster right now. And if you're going to unload Donovan, I, they're just going straight back to a rebuild and starting all over again. So, you know, there could be actually be a possibility that they just run it with Donovan this year and see watch what happens. You know, maybe, maybe it works out for them. Maybe they get farther in the playoffs. You know, they got bounced out by the Mavs in the first round last season. Obviously that was a major disappointment for them, but I think overall, I think if those trade demands are going to stay the way they are, I just don't think that any teams could be willing to agree to that. It It's suicide as far as I'm concerned. You're sacrificing too much. And I just don't think it's actually worth it for the long run, despite whatever sort of returns you get from Donovan, if that trade were to go through. But that's just how I see it. It's I just don't think it, that it's worth it. I think the Knicks were actually smart in that regard. And it's very rare that I actually give the Knicks credit, especially their front office, because their front office has been a dumpster fire for as long as I've been alive. So they actually got to get the, uh, they basically get the seal of approval for me on that one, which is very rare. But with that said, we're going to transition to some NFL topics. Uh, the first one we're going to go over is Kevin and I are going to discuss our top five running backs in the NFL. We've got a great list of running backs. Uh, we got guys like uh, Jonathan Taylor, Derek Henry, Ezekiel Elliott, Dalvin Cook. I mean, you can name off a bunch of NFL running backs that, definitely deserve to be in this top five list. And Kevin and I are going to do the best that we can uh, to put our best top five that we can for you guys. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this top five list. Kevin, give me your top five running backs in the NFL right now. All right. Well, I am starting from five and I'm working my way on up. At number five for the Minnesota Vikings, I have Dalvin Cook. At number four, I have Joe Mixon of the Cincinnati Bengals. At number three, I am going to have Nick Chubb of the Cleveland Browns. At number two, despite what a lot of people are going to say, I have uh, Derrick Henry. And then, of course, at number one, I have Jonathan Taylor. The bias is going to show for sure, but I believe that the the statistics will then back it up. Hear me out. I say Jonathan Taylor is going to last longer in this league. I say that Jonathan Taylor doesn't need to have the amount of carries that Derrick Henry does. 
I don't believe that Jonathan Taylor will be the only source of an offense for us outside of Derrick Henry truthfully being one of the only main pieces remaining for that Tennessee Titans team now that A.J. Brown is gone. Derrick Henry averages anywhere between 25 to 30 carries a game in his NFL career. We've even seen multiple times where he's gone over 30 carries. That's a lot of taxing mileage on someone that's over 250 pounds at 6'3", 6'4". We've seen Derrick Henry had a, a pretty big foot injury or ankle injury, whatever it was last year. And we all know that running backs, lower extremity injuries tend to malinger throughout their careers. We know that that's one of the more grueling positions in the NFL. We know that being a running back, you're going to take a beating. And with Derrick being so big, he is one of those running backs like back in the day, like the Earl Campbell type of players that take beatings and keep going. It's like they get better as the game goes on because they're just abusing the linebackers and the secondary players if the offensive line is able to move the front four. I truly believe that with Jonathan Taylor's uh, additional elusiveness and his strength, that he will end up overshadowing Derrick Henry. We all know that Derrick's numbers have been absolutely incredible since he's been in the league. I'm not taking it away from him. I know that Jonathan's only been in the league two seasons. I know Derrick's been in the league for well over four or five. I understand the impact that Derrick brings because you have to immediately stack the box when he's healthy and he's on the field. But once again, between the injuries, between the amount of carries he's had in his career thus far, and just overall him getting older as well, not that he's old, but you just add on everything... I think truly and honestly that Jonathan Taylor is just a better overall running back, especially because of his ability to catch out of the backfield and obviously the offensive line that the Colts have available to them. We've had a rotation of quarterbacks since he's been in the league, but with him having his third year with his third different starting quarterback and for him to have the impact that he's had thus far in only two seasons, I do believe that he is going to be the best overall running back in the NFL. Well, Kevin, I pretty much have a similar list to you. The only difference is, is that I just have the I, the only difference I have is just some of the players are just listed in different spots. So let me not waste any more time and let me get into my top five here. Let me just pull it up real quick. All right. So at number five, I have Joe Mixon. At number four, I have Dalvin Cook. At number three, I have Nick Chubb. At number two, I have Jonathan Taylor. And at number one, I have Derrick Henry. All five of these guys deserve to be in the top five. When I look at Joe Mixon, I love Joe Mixon's ability to be able to run the ball effectively when he gets touches. And I love the fact that he's a great threat out of the backfield. And I pretty much have the mindset that with the additions that the Bengals have made to their offensive line this offseason, they've really bolstered that part of their offense. I think that Joe Mixon is going to have a career year, not just in running the football, but I think Joe Burrow is actually going to be able to have time to be able to throw the ball to him. And I believe that when you have Joe Mixon, a great wide receiving threat out of the backfield, I think that it's not only going to serve Joe Mixon well, I think it's going to serve the Bengals uh, to a larger extent very well going into next year. When I look at Dalvin Cook, uh, he's been consistent when it comes to his overall production. It's really the only thing that I could focus on with Dalvin is just his inability to stay healthy consistently. It's really kind of been the only mark that I could use against him. But overall, when Dalvin is healthy, he's definitely a top five running back in the NFL. I mean, you can make a very good case that he's like one of the top two running backs in the NFC. You could honestly make an argument he could be. I mean, some people might have Christian McCaffrey in there, but it just kind of depends on how you see it. I don't even have Christian McCaffrey in this list simply just because I can't rely on his health. I can rely on Nick Chubbs a little bit more and excuse me, not Nick Chubb, on Dalvin Cooks a little bit more. So I have Dalvin Cook at number four. So at number three, I have Nick Chubb. And 
I just think that Nick Chubb is a beast. He's been solid for Cleveland since he's arrived a couple years back. Now, I think there's going to be a little bit of a difference when it comes to how he's given the ball just because you have a new quarterback in the fold. Baker Mayfield's out, Deshaun Watson's in, and we don't know necessarily if Nick Chubb is going to get the same opportunities that he's gotten when Baker Mayfield was a quarterback when Deshaun eventually gets inserted into the starting rotation at that quarterback spot. Now, just because he may not be as effective as he used to be back in the day doesn't mean that he's gonna he's not going to be effective. I think overall, Nick Chubb is one of the best power runners in the game. He's great after first contact. And I think overall, I could definitely see Nick Chubb going out and getting another 1,000-yard uh, game on the ground. or Not game. Another 1,000-yard season under his belt just because I think, you know, especially when it gets cold, when it gets into November and December, I think Cleveland's going to really rely on their run game. And I think Nick Chubb is going to be the focal point in that. And I think, you know, when it's all said and done, I think Nick Chubb's going to have a very successful season. And I firmly believe that he's the number three running back at this current moment in time. Uh, At number two, I have Jonathan Taylor, uh, much to the chagrin of Kevin. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is one of the best running backs in the league. He is really on what I would consider a significant upward trajectory at this point in time. Had a career year last year. Essentially, I'm going to basically take something from Kev's train of thought. Just give him the damn ball. Just give Jonathan the ball and watch him do work. He was the lead. Uh, he was the league leading rusher last year. Had, I believe, over 1,800 yards rushing. Whenever he gets the ball, whenever he gets the rock, uh, Great things can happen. They have a great offensive line in Indy that gives him space to run through. And I think when it all comes down to it, if Jonathan Taylor stays healthy, I could potentially see Jonathan Taylor getting a 2,000-yard season at some point. It really just comes down to whether or not that the the playbook comes down to giving him the ball 20 to 25 times a game. If they're able to do that consistently, and if he's able to get four or five yards a chunk, I could definitely see Jonathan Taylor going and getting a 2,000-yard season very soon. So overall, he's in a great spot with Indy. He's on an upward trajectory, and I could definitely see him becoming the best running back in the league. It's just not right now. That title does belong to Derrick Henry. Even though the Derrick Henry missed a significant amount of time last year, Derrick was on an absolute tear before he suffered his foot injury that pretty much sidelined him the rest of the season, except for the one playoff game that the Titans played against the Bengals. Derrick Henry is just a beast. To me, he is the full package when it comes to being able to, you know, dodge defenders, be able to keep moving, keep staying upright after first contact. And as far as I'm concerned, he's probably one of the strongest running backs I've ever seen. He's the biggest running back I've ever seen just because, just based off of his sheer size. I mean, for God's sakes, his freaking biceps and triceps are probably as big as my chest. I mean, imagine as an NFL defender trying to be able to tackle that on a consistent basis when he's getting the rock 20 to 25 times a game. To me, the Titans' entire offensive philosophy comes down to whether or not that Derrick Henry is effective. When Derrick Henry is, you know, slicing through the A, B, and C gaps effectively, the the Titans are going to roll. And as far as I'm concerned, if the Titans decide to give him the ball consistently, he could definitely go out and get 2,000 yards next season. I could totally see that happening. It just comes down to whether or not that he could stay healthy. That was definitely a point of contention last year. I think if he stays healthy, 
I think he's going to return to that dominant form like we saw before he got hurt last year. And to me, it's clear cut. Derrick Henry is clearly the number one running back in the game. But I will say, just to kind of buffer Kevin's point, I do believe that Jonathan Taylor is on that rise. And I do believe that he could eventually start nipping at Derrick Henry's heels. It's just not right now. Derrick Henry clearly is the best running back in the NFL. And you know what's sad? As I'm looking a little bit more in, in, in depth into the statistics and, of course, the available games that these running backs have had, each of these running backs has missed significant amounts of time outside of, of course, Jonathan Taylor because he's only been in the league two years. Knock on wood. God bless. Please and thank you. Um, and then uh, Joe Mixon. Dude, a lot of these players, Dalvin Cook hasn't played a full season in his career. Nick Chubb the last two seasons has been hurt. Like you mentioned, Christian McCaffrey, he hasn't been healthy for a lot of years in the last couple of seasons. Derrick Henry had a big chunk that he had missed last year. Like, this just shows even the best of the best because of how much taxing blows they have to their body. It's just inevitable. This is why the lifespan of a running back is usually five to eight seasons at the highest level because it's just... Bro, you're taking hits in the backfield, at the offensive line, from the first level, the second, and third level of the defense, depending on how good your offensive line is. And then, of course, the natural ability of your, your, your running back being able to create separation, so many different things. Um, it's actually kind of crazy, because I'm looking at this, right? And I'm saying, damn, Dalvin Cook like really is a beast. But in the five seasons he's been in the NFL, in 2017, he only played four games. 2018, he only played 11 games. 19, 14 games. In 2020, 14 games. In 2021, 13 games. Like, Dalvin Cook has literally been riddled with a multitude of random injuries and just unfortunate. Just It just kind of sucks because Minnesota hasn't really been relevant in a while. And I wouldn't say that that's... We've talked about this before. That's not necessarily Dalvin and Kirk's fault. The defense of the Minnesota Vikings hasn't really been doing anything to help them stay in games because we all know that Kirk, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and Dalvin Cook, you can make the argument that that, 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 that group of four players can be probably one of the best offenses in the NFL if Kirk's given time and that defense is able to get some stops. But to, what I'm, to, to kind of like allude to my point, these backs, I mean, Nick Chubb going all the way through, right? Nick Chubb in his rookie season in 2018... He played 16 games. He played 16 games again the next season, but then the injuries started to tack on. 2020 only played 12 games, and last year he only played 14 out of 17. So it's like he's missed the least amount of time out of everybody, but it just goes to show if you want to be a, a top running back, you're going to get you're going to take blows to your body. There's just, there's just no getting away from it. Yeah, and that's really you know what can shorten an NFL career. It's just the injuries and. I mean, look, I mean, when it comes to the running backs, they're getting contact essentially within like the first second after getting the ball. And, you know, sometimes they're able to bounce out of it. Sometimes they're able to make something out of nothing. But a lot of times, the you know, these guys are taking pretty heavy licks. And just after a certain point, you know, it could definitely wear a body down. And, you know, we've seen it even amongst the better running backs in the league. I mean, we talked about Christian McCaffrey. He can't stay healthy. Derrick Henry, the injury bug has finally caught him. I mean, knock on wood, Kev, I think Jonathan Taylor is going to have to eventually fight that injury bug at a certain point in time. It's just, it just comes with the territory of being an NFL football player. You're going to be able to get hurt. The biggest thing is how quickly can you be able to recover and bounce back from it? And that's what really is like the biggest test for, especially NFL running backs. Like you said, their careers are pretty short to begin with, but the amount of content that they take on a regular basis. And then you add in, 
you know, knee issues or quad issues or arm issues, whatever the case may be, especially I should even throw concussions in there because they, the concussions definitely start to ramp up, especially with all the, the helmet to helmet. Quickly, content. bro. Quick. It, you know, that, that really can shorten an NFL career. So, you know, overall, you know, I think all these guys are great in their own regard, but they do have a limit and the injuries really is where that limit is and can really slow down their individual careers. But overall, I think that those five players that, that we outlined, I think those guys are well-deserving to be in the top five as far as the best running backs in the league. That's just how I see it. And then to kick it to our last segment. Now, this kind of came up in a discussion in one of our TikTok videos. So, Kevin, I'm going to let you have the floor on this one. Guys, I, I we... we... We, we, we got to talk about this, right? No, I, I got to get this. I, I got to get it off my chest. But I'm going to ask Kyle first because it's his man. That's his boy. I'm going to let Kyle defend his boy. But then when I get my turn, I'm going to just go off. We have had this discussion literally since we've posted this TikTok, which, by the way, has erupted just absolutely to the damn moon on some fucking crazy shit. But that's neither here nor there. Our comment section, the most frequent comment that we've been getting is the fact that we have decided to put Baker Mayfield in the discussion for one of the better quarterbacks in the league, right? But that was the main point of the conversation. The actual issue is people got mad that we chose Mac Jones over Baker and that we chose Baker over Trevor Lawrence. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to remember, Trevor Lawrence had a horrible season. Everybody has to realize Mac Jones is on the New England Patriots with the greatest coach of all time. So the issue has always been going back and forth of, well, is Mac better than Trevor? And Kyle, I'm going to let you take this because, again, I understand he's your boy, but we got to clarify this because th th these comments are getting absolutely ridiculous. Well, I think overall, like when I look at the matchup between Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence, I have to pick Mac Jones right now. It's simply just he's on a better team. And the way that I see it, it's not to discredit Trevor. Trevor, I, I think, is a very talented quarterback. You know, he's coming into his own and, you know, it's tough being in the situation that he is with Jacksonville just because, well, let's face it, the Jags are a tire fire. Now, granted, I think they'll be in a better position this upcoming season since Urban Meyer is no longer the head coach. Doug Peterson is there. I think they're in a position where they have nowhere to go but up. But whatever sort of strides that the Jags make with Trevor Lawrence at the helm this year, I don't think that it's going to outdo what Mac Jones and the Patriots are going to do. I mean, let's just kind of look at the depth charts when it comes to both teams. And you may have Mac Jones, and then when you, it comes to his wideouts to throw to, he's got Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, he's got Jacoby Myers, Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry. I mean, those are five legitimate targets to be able to throw to on a consistent basis. And then when you look at Trevor Lawrence, I got to pull up their depth chart real quick. He's going to be able to throw to Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones, Zay Jones, and Evan Ingram. Now, on paper, that's not necessarily that bad. He actually has some decent targets to throw to. But when you look at the production that Mac Jones has over Trevor Lawrence from this past season, granted they've only played in the NFL for one season, Mac is better based on what they did last year. Now, granted, people will say, oh, well, the Jags had a terrible year because of Urban Meyer. And I take that point very credibly. It is a worthwhile point to make. However, I do think that Mac Jones with the cast that he has around him, with the coach that he has behind him, just the overall system 
is in a it's in a much better place for Mac to be able to thrive in than Trevor. Trevor's already gone through a coaching carousel within his first two year in his first two years, which is something that you really never want with a young quarterback that's just trying to find his rhythm. Overall, I do think that both quarterbacks are going to take incremental strides to become better quarterbacks this upcoming season. They're only in year two. They still have a long way to go. But overall, I got to pick Mac Jones over Trevor Lawrence in this upcoming season. It's not to say that Trevor Lawrence isn't going to have his successes. He will. I just think that Mac Jones will have more just because I think better coach, better system to roll with, and I think he has a better cast of targets to be able to throw to. Trevor, I think, will improve. I think he'll have more touchdowns than interceptions. That's something that you can't say from last year. But with Mac Jones, you can say that. He had more touchdowns. I believe he had 22 to 13 interceptions. Trevor had 12 touchdowns to 17 interceptions. I just got to pick Mac at this current moment in time. And I granted, you know, people can look behind and see my wall and say, yeah, like I'm a Patriot fan. But I'm looking this objectively. Mac is in a better system. Trevor isn't. And I do believe that Mac's skill set in that system is going to produce much more beneficial results than what Trevor's going to be able to produce in Jacksonville. To me, this is pretty simple. This is pretty cut and concise as far as I'm concerned. I just, I get so frustrated because people get lost in the moment of the name Trevor Lawrence, right? We've talked about this personally. Everyone's infatuated with what Trevor did in college. This ain't Clemson anymore. This isn't the ACC. He's not the top prospect anymore. Now he's an NFL quarterback that has to produce as a number one pick, and he has not. Like Kyle said, it's only one year. We understand that Urban Meyer was a dumpster fire of a head coach. You got Doug in there, right? Doug Peterson is a successful coach who has won a Super Bowl and has been able to coach Nick Foles, Carson Wentz when he was productive, um, even to a certain extent, you know, Jalen Hurts had some early success before they let him go. But what I'm saying is, like Kyle alluded to, the staff is still trash. The receiving core is still not good. Your best player is a career averaging in terms of statistics, what, 12, 12 yards per catch, uh, we're looking at freaking, oh my goodness, I can't even read. A career total of 2,900 yards over the course of four years. He's a career number three receiver in Arizona. And you go and you give him the contract that he did. Then you have Marvin Jones, another receiver known to be a number two slash number three. Nobody big, nobody tall. Um, and then you have Zay Jones, Chenault, uh, uh, Treadwell. There's no one that jumps off this depth chart that's going to say this receiver is going to save Trevor Lawrence's career. Nobody here is going to say that. Everybody's just stuck. Well, Trevor Lawrence went to Clemson and he was a god. Trevor Lawrence was the greatest quarterback we've seen since Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning in college and in high school. Drop it. The hype is gone. He played in the league. He had a bad year. Now he's got to bounce back. Will he have a better year than last year? I mean, I would hope so. But if he doesn't, it's not going to be a surprise. They don't have a good team in Jacksonville. I am a Colts fan. I don't say it biasly. The Jags suck. Sure, do they beat us every year in Jacksonville before someone comes at me sideways in the comments? I acknowledge that. For whatever reason, we cannot win in Jacksonville, and we haven't been able to do it in eight years. Doesn't mean that they've been relevant in the last couple seasons. 3-14 and 14 last year with their golden boy, Trevor Lawrence. 
Mac Jones plays on the New England Patriots. Mac Jones has Bill Belichick. Mac Jones has two potential Pro Bowl tight ends. Mac Jones threw three passes in a game and got a win. Trevor Lawrence can't do that. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence does not have the team around him. If you were to put targets in an open field and ask people to, or not, not people, ask the two quarterbacks to make specific throws and, you know, roll out, be on the move, I would probably say as a pure passer, maybe Trevor Lawrence is better just because of his overall skill set and athleticism. But in the NFL, it's not about that. You win games being successful, hitting the receivers in stride, scoring touchdowns, limiting turnovers, and winning as a team. Trevor Lawrence isn't going to do that until he has a better staff around him in terms of an overall cast. I keep saying staff. I mean overall cast. Because staff is obviously the coaching staff in which they've revamped since firing Urban Meyer. He needs better receivers. He's going to need James Robinson to stay healthy. He's going to need the tight end group to be be successful and be consistent. The offensive line is going to have to keep him upright. I mean, the defense is going to have to get stopped so that they can put the ball back in his hands. And Jacksonville's got to win football games. Trevor Lawrence's stats last year were 3,600 yards, 12 TDs, and 17 picks with a completion percentage of 59.6. For God's sakes, his QBR was 33.5. He was sacked 32 times. Mac Jones on the New England Patriots threw for 3,800 yards, 22 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and had a completion percentage of 67.6 with a QBR of 50.9. The QBR aspect is much better, but still higher. He was sacked 28 times. The numbers are better. So it's not stupid to say that Mac Jones is a better NFL quarterback when that is the season that we have to go off of. Until Jacksonville makes drastic changes to this roster, I'm going to continue to sign with Mac Jones. I'm, I mean, if you look at it on paper, I'm just going off of it. Bill Belichick, Doug Peterson, Bill Belichick. Receiving core of New England and the tight end room versus the receiving core and tight end room over in Jacksonville. It's New England. Defense, New England. Offensive line, you can make an argument because Jacksonville actually went out and signed a lot of uh, a lot of depth out there for their offensive line. And I'll, I'll let Kyle allude to the who's got the better offensive line out there compared to New England because I don't know their offensive line. But I would side with the fact that Trevor Lawrence was sacked more. So I'm, I'm going to give that aspect, again, based off the numbers that I see here, Mac Jones. Why is it so outlandish to say that Mac Jones might have a better future? Because he was the 15th pick instead of the first pick? No. Because he was not a good quarterback at Alabama, and Trevor was a, a better quarterback in Clemson. We all know that he was, but Mac Jones was successful in his time with Alabama. He won a national championship. So did Trevor. Mac Jones threw for, I think, 45, 50 touchdowns in one season. What are we talking about right now? The numbers are not that different, but in the NFL, they make a mass difference. So what I'm saying is, to say Mac over Trevor at this moment in time, is not ludicrous. It's, it's factual. Yeah, and, you know, to me, like, you know, people can look at me saying, well, yeah, you're a Patriot fan. Obviously, you're going to take your boy. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with it. I can look at this objectively and not just look at stats. I could see, like, their overall play. People can look back, and, and I could watch Trevor Lawrence highlights. It's kind of tough when, you know, you're throwing 12 touchdowns and 17 interceptions and you win three games. With Mac, the Patriots went to the playoffs in his first year as the starting quarterback. First year. Granted, I know they got destroyed by the Bills. It happens. But to say like that Trevor Lawrence is better than Mac Jones at this current moment in time, 
I, I don't believe that that's the case. The stats don't indicate that. The overall team success doesn't indicate that. And when you look at the overall stability of both franchises, the Patriots are in a much better position than the Jaguars are. And guess what? It has a trickle-down effect to the rest of the team. When you have Bill Belichick running the way, that is a tight ship. With Urban Meyer, it was as loose as a ship as you could get. And I use that term loose, very loosely, with Urban Meyer specifically. But overall... Yeah, to me, at this current moment in time, it's Mac Jones. And, and Trevor still has to execute, bro. Urban Meyer's yeah. not throwing the football. I'm Third. sorry. As much as people want to take this blame and say it's all Urban Meyer's fault, I would probably give it about a 70% fault to the head coach because the staff wasn't prepared. Maybe Trevor wasn't having a good offseason program. Maybe even practices during the week sucked and Trevor just wasn't reading the film right or maybe even the plays didn't make it, sense. But when you snap misreads. that ball, it's in your hands. And you have to make a decision based off what is presented to you, and you throw 17 interceptions. That's not Urban's fault. Trevor let the ball go. Trevor threw the football. Mm-hmm. You can only coach so far. The players have to go out there and execute. And to me, based on what I saw from both quarterbacks last year, Mac Jones executed at a higher level than Trevor Lawrence. People can look and say, oh, well, Trevor is a better skilled player. I'm like, Show it to me. You say he has all these, all these tangible assets to his game. Well, he's got to prove it to me. And last college year is in it. the back. It's in the rearview mirror, baby. Everybody got to let Mac, that shit go. Mac Jones did a better job last year, and to me, it's not even close. And I think going into this year, I think Mac has a chance to improve it. So does Trevor. Trevor has a huge opportunity ahead of himself to be able to work on the mistakes he made from last year. I just think that Mac's going to do it better. It's that simple. There's, there's really nothing I, I, left I to be said. I don't think said. it's crazy. I don't no. think it's crazy. It's just it's just frustrating because these comments. It's, I mean, if you guys were able to see it from our side without having to like scroll and open every single one, Kyle, what would you say? One out of every four or five comments is it, it was like Mac, it was like Mac one out of five, over Baker. Out, it was like every it, one it, out of people it's were crazy. getting people were getting mad that I picked Mac over Baker, but I picked Baker over Trevor. Baker was basically playing on a bum shoulder and. Was it? Didn't he hurt his knee on top of it too last year, or hurt his yep. ankle or something? Yep. He was fighting through it, and you could tell he was clearly injured. Trevor wasn't. Mac wasn't. But Mac outplayed Baker in the one time that they faced each other. And hell, Mac outplayed Trevor. The Patriots hung up fifty points against the Jaguars. Like, what are we talking about here? This, but that was that was Urban's fault. Urban Urban was suited up. 11 players and you know Ur- urban is the guy that, that that couldn't stop the offense of the like, patriots don't forget I'm, it's all urban's fault i mean i mean look it's just it is what it is trevor didn't have the best rookie season it's okay mac jones had a better one and guess what could there be a situation where trevor outperforms mac yes absolutely i'm just not betting on it i got mac in this case i think mac's in a better situation the system's more stable and i think when you combine those factors alongside the progress that I think that Mac's going to make in a second year, I think that Mac's going to have a better year than Trevor. And overall, I think that Mac's a better quarterback at this moment in time. I don't think that's a far-fetched statement. Not at all. I mean, we, we can kind of go on and on about this, but um, that pretty much, Kev, I think that pretty much wraps it up for us. So we pretty much not that all of our topics. So Indeed. Yeah, I mean, you know, overall, we're just about at an hour, so. 
not much really left to talk about, bro. I think, you know, pretty much good to go from here. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying know, to think. I know I had something that like kind of popped up on my phone really quick. I mean, the home run derby is going on right now, but I haven't seen a lick of it, which is surprising because it's like literally my favorite thing from the All Star Game. I just yeah, I've been kind of caught up. Obviously, before recording, we had to pre plan and everything like that, so I, I kind of just got lost in in the podcast stuff. But obviously, guys, that's going on. The All Star Game is tomorrow, so I mean, pay mm-hmm. attention for that. And uh, yeah, that about wraps everything up on on that. I think training camp is what it starts next week. Training camps, I think, starts in a week and a half. It's close, though. It's very close. But um, I know. It's that time, Kev. Getting close to preseason. It's less than a month away. I'm so happy. Good times, baby. Good times. Football is coming. Yes, sir. But, you know, uh, once again, you guys, uh, just, you know, before we wrap it up, uh, just thank you guys for supporting the podcast uh, in any way, shape, or form that you have. Obviously, we've had a huge TikTok success. Uh, with our most recent upload of uh, Baker Mayfield versus other NFL quarterbacks. Obviously, that one's been probably the most successful piece of content that Kevin and I have done. And we just appreciate you guys tuning in and just giving our content a chance. And hopefully we get that support, uh, not just with this episode, but multiple episodes that come out you know, in the future. So uh, thank you guys for the support that you have. And or thank you for the support that you've given us. And Kevin, I'll kick it to you from here to close it on out. All right, well, Kyle and I got some news. Obviously, we got uh, the podcast coming out, I believe, another episode, hopefully Wednesday, Thursday, if not Wednesday, because Kyle's got some 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 things to take care of. We'll record and then on Kyle's, Wednesday. We'll record on we'll Wednesday. Record Wednesday? Okay, good. And then, obviously, Kyle's got a big vacation coming up for about a week and a half, two weeks. So him and I are going to be working together. Uh, guys, just pay close attention to when things are going to drop. It's going to be a little inconsistent for the next couple of weeks just because mm-hmm. of the vacations that Kyle's got planned up. But again, content's going to keep flowing. We're going to make sure that we get things pulled out, even if that is maybe just a couple TikToks here and again. But we're going to make it work for you, so don't worry about that. But outside of all of it, like Kyle said and I said earlier, the, the TikTok success has been kind of incredible. And I mean, you know, the YouTube shorts have been successful for us over the last week or so as well. So content just finally hitting the way we wanted it to, especially in this lull period of, you know, no really no real sports outside of baseball. But we're making it work, and hopefully that shows you guys that we're going to be, continue to be consistent. And uh, we just appreciate you guys for uh, sticking along through the ride, and we'll uh, we'll see you guys again soon. Yeah. Once again, thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you guys later. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.